Hello, this is Black Wolf with the Dream Again Podcast. You ever think about starting your own tax franchise? You can get our new and exclusive deal, the 5 for 5 deal, uh, franchise deal, where you'll start your own independent tax service franchise and you'll get partnerships for ADP for payroll, Backer 529 for education expenses, Lively HSA for uh, healthcare expenses, and accountants today for uh, CPE courses all year round to issue certificates to your firm. You can see more details in the incentives that will get paid from these partnerships directly to you or your EIN by going to dreamagainthelegacy.com and clicking the financial free tab. On that page, you'll see what the partnerships have to offer. And you can also uh, select the link that say join chat room today to start your road to building your own independent, own branded franchise, tax franchise. Thank you. Mark, Mark just got back in too, bro. All right, cool. Peace and abundance, everybody. Welcome to the Black Wall Street intro discussion. It's a continuation from last week's um, talk that we had about the different wealth strategies. We got Andre here, um, tax specialist. He's going to be going over some different wealth strategies. CEO of Dream Again. Hello, everyone. You got that diagram, bro? Yeah. All right, let's just start from there. I'm CEO of Dream Again. Basically, I changed Martin Luther King's vision into a, a company. Uh, the Black uh, Wealth Strategies is pretty much uh, the top. Um, just different strategies to use from like a tax perspective. We have individuals from all different trades and specialize in uh, different um, crafts all in one group from CPAs, musicians, professional athletes. Um, that's pretty much the Wolfpack. Uh, it's pretty much a, a continuum of, of the mastermind group. And uh, I'm just gonna go through uh, the eight uh, types of income individuals can have. If you haven't um, watched the Welcome to the BWS on, on the YouTube page, it's gonna be linked to this uh, to this uh, video when it's posted on the mastermind group. It's gonna have the intro and you're gonna learn about the four quadrants and then um, the different schedules within uh, uh, the tax forms uh, that individuals should be aware of. Okay, cool. And um, pretty much we're gonna go through these eight uh, streams. I'm just gonna go over the eight streams of income and then we're gonna go over uh, the questions that was collected uh, from uh, the previous session so if everybody could just hold their questions, we're going to go through all these individual questions. And then uh, then if anybody, just hold all your questions to the end. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the eight streams of income, we got earned income. It's pretty much income from working a job. And profit income, income from buying and selling. Uh, interest income, income from lending money, passive in income, 
continuous income with little effort. Uh, it's probably from books, uh, selling clothing, things of that nature. Uh, interest is pretty much like if you made a loan out to a friend on a student loan or something like that. All of them pretty much all the different types of incomes individuals can have uh, to have within their schedules. Uh, you got rental income, capital gains, and royalty income. So using all these different types of income streams from a, a tax perspective, and if you uh, study like the quadrants and the different schedules, they open up uh, those schedules to start building wealth on um, a larger scale. So individuals, when they say, you know, you should have multiple strands of income, uh, is usually dealing with these eight different types of income. And uh, you're, use, you're trying to build on them uh, using different, uh, what, uh, different like money market accounts, uh, real estate or business. Um, some of the questions that we have from the mastermind group, um, uh, from the Black Wealth uh, Strategies intro video, um, I can just uh, open up the list and we're just gonna go through them. Uh, the first question was, why is taking profits on trades very important? Uh, MJ, you wanna touch up on that one? Yeah. Um, yeah, taking profit on trades is very important because, you know, when we're trading, we have to pay attention to our risk to reward, right? So our wins are the ones that pay for our losses, right? So, you know, losing trades isn't, you know, it's just part of the game. It's just the, you know, that's just tuition to the game. You know, it's just part of the process. But you have to take profits on trades because your profits are going to cover your losses, right? So if you're playing with like um, a risk to reward, let's say you're only risking 5% every trade, you know, you can lose, you know, five trades in a row and still be good or even more. But, you know, if you have a good win, you know, that could cover, you know, all your losses, right? So, um, as important it is to, you know, cut your losses, you know, it's also very important to take profits, um, you know, at the right time. But you have to make sure you're definitely locking in some profits or else, you know, over a, an extended period of time, the law of averages, if you're not taking profits, you're gonna end up being a losing trader because your losses aren't paying for your wins. I mean, your wins aren't paying for your losses. Right, it's just a roller coaster effect within the market, you want, it's, the simple tactic to like buy uh, low, sell high, just make sure you catching the peak of the trade and uh, capitalizing on your gains if it's a uh, short term, long term. Uh, the next question is, did Mark jump back on? Yeah, I'm Mark, back on. I bet you got anything to add or are you good for the next question? Oh uh, yeah, I'm good for the next question. All right. So the next one, the next question is, is not using a stop loss gambling my money away? Uh, Mark or MJ, y'all want to answer this one? Yeah, sure. I can take this one. Um, right. So, in my opinion, um, stop losses is, to some extent, gambling your money away. So, with the stock market, yes, it does return, but you also want to make sure that you're limiting your losses as much as possible. So, it's more so a lot. It's, it's more so, I would say, it's about risk mitigation, or risk mitigation, which is key to trading. So you don't want to go into it on margin. You're doing a trade, you got $2,000 in the trade and you on margin. Or even if you get that 2,000 period, you don't want to risk, I want to say 25% of your money. Why not, you know, set a stop loss at maybe five, 10% and 
you know, then get back in later and wait for that trade to re retrace. That's basically eliminate, eliminating all the risk that you have on the table and therefore it gives you an opportunity to regain. And another thing is uh, it's harder to regain, I want to say, your losses uh, through profits. Well, based on, I want to say, once you drop, like say, once you got less money, it's hard to regain that money that you lost. So I want to say, in my opinion, stop losses are very key to trading and a very fundamental base for trading. Yeah, definitely. Uh, depending on like how you trade in your uh, independent strategy, if you trade in a volatile market, stop loss can prevent you from having a, a greater loss than uh, what is necessary. So I, I agree. Yeah. Um, just to add to like, like what you just said, a volatile market. Like when we look at volatility, like the stock has 20, 30% volatility, that's gonna let you know what that standard deviation range for that stock is. So, you know, having a stop loss protects you from that downside of that standard deviation because volatility not only, you know, factors in the upside, but the downside as well. So, you know, a stop loss helps you mitigate some of that risk like uh, Mark was saying, and cut some of those losses. Because at the end of the day, if you don't, and you continuously take big losses, that's how people, you know, blow up their account. Gotcha. Uh, what could anyone do to improve their trading? Hold on, somebody said uh, stop loss on leaps. Um, I mean, it, it all depends on you, you know, um, but, you know, typically with the leaps, um, usually they can have a, a big drawdown and you can factor that drawdown into your risk, right? So when you're getting into a trade, you should know how much money you want to risk. And then based on that, you can calculate, all right, if this option or this stock draws down this much, this is how much money I'm putting at risk and factor that in, right? So even if the stock does have a huge drawdown, you already anticipated that into the money that you put at risk on your leaps. All right, next question we have is, uh, what could anyone do to the, improve their trading? Like, what are some of the strategies that we uh, took to improve trading? Um, some things I do, I just uh, read a lot of books and I just study how other people trade just to see if there's anything from their strategy that I can implement into my niche to make my uh, trading strategy better. Just learning different indicators from individuals and um, seeing what works best for them to see if I can for a minute. What about you, MJ? Uh, I think, um, you know, something I like to do is I like to back test. Uh, I like to go back, uh, like replay the market, sort of like, you know, how, you know, NBA players or sports players, they, they like to go back and watch the film. Same thing I like to do. I like to go back through the day um, and see what opportunities um, were presented you know, uh, even the trade that I may have took, if I could have had a better entry, um, better entry or a better exit. Um, but the, yeah, that's it. Gotcha. Mark, you got anything to add? Uh, ring uh, yeah, I basically, I agree with um, Dre and MJ on this. Uh, it's definitely, I want to say, you definitely want to diversify your experience. So if you get a chance, maybe go on YouTube, just evaluating other people's trading strategies and try to pick out the key components of their trading strategy and try to implement it into yours to basically improve your trading strategy. I want to say that's a very key component to improving your trading and just your trading strategy, period. Then um, 
Yo, Reem, your mic working? Uh, you can you can jump on a question if you if your mic working. If not, you can just keep pushing through. Reem, his mic working. Um, someone asked. The next question is, what would you do with six K today? If you had six K to invest, what would y'all do? Um, me personally, if it's like my final, like my last 6K, um, I wouldn't risk it like into day trades or anything of that nature. I'd probably just start a Roth IRA because uh, it goes like generation to generation. And then I'll just max it out for the year because you only can put 6K in there a year. And I'll buy like a solid growth stock or ETF or, or something of that nature and just, uh, just keep building like long-term wealth while I'm learning uh, short-term strategies. MJ, what would you do with 6K? Yeah, I would uh, I would do the same. I would put it in the Roth um, and probably in, invest in some safe strategies, you know, some long-term strategies. Um, maybe it depends on what my goals are. If my goals are to build capital, uh, I would definitely probably put it in some long-term options um, to accelerate the growth. Um, but definitely you want to, you know, start with that Roth IRA. Uh, because, you know, you're going to benefit tax-wise. Right. Uh, Mark, um, So, um, I'm going to agree with y'all on that one. Um, I'm definitely going to the raw, or I'm investing into an ETF. Um, I'm more so a safe bet. Or if I want to get a little more risky with my 6K, and I kind of want to, um, I want to say, diversify outside of trading, I will probably try to step into a business aspect of it. And I would probably just aim for more so like a service type business, which would basically require like very low overhead. So that could be like right. tax services. Um, even when you become a notary, just like little things like that. And opportunities that like that could really pay off. And with your with 6K, which is a very small one say startup cost, I'm pretty sure you could uh, you could uh, basically grow that 6K pretty fast and move it into your IRAs or other aspects of whatever you want to actually do in the future. Right. Um, the next question was in terms of the quadrants. Uh, I can't answer this one. It's basically like um, it's talking about like the EIN and getting your EIN on payroll. So for uh, for those individuals that um, didn't watch the first uh, the first series, uh, basically I told individuals they should tell employers or anybody that try to contract them in to pay their EIN directly. So when you, you get your EIN paid directly, um, usually it's usually like a, a 1099. If you ever receive a 1099 MISC form, uh, you can have those 1099s paid directly to uh, an entity or a, uh, a business. And then you will open up uh, like all the tax write-offs and you already generate generating income for your business. Uh, for instance, like I did uh, marketing research for several years, um, and they would uh, they first they would hire uh, individuals to just go research a, a certain market using like a GIS system. So instead of letting them put me on like a payroll like W two, I would tell them to I would tell them to uh, just pay my EIN directly. When they pay my EIN directly. I can put myself on payroll and just start using that money to funnel 
into my business and start uh, different uh, avenues for for that wealth. So being that they're paying my EIN directly, you know, traveling would be 100% right off. So anytime I get a rental car, flights, hotels, that'd be 100% right off. Uh, every time I eat out for food or anything, just cause I'm on a business trip, it'd be 100% right off this year uh, due to, um, you know, the, the tax law change in uh, April. Prior to that, it was a uh, 50%. Like security would be 100% right off. So you're, you're, you're using that money instead of paying taxes, you will use it for uh, business expenses that will be right off. So in terms of just ha having in, uh, people or corporations pay your EIN, it will uh, play for your best interest uh, business-wise. Y'all got anything to add? Yeah, can, hey, Jay, can you elaborate on how, you know, even somebody who doesn't necessarily own a business that's generating revenue can um, benefit from these tax laws and, you know, write off some expenses? Okay, so for like each individual, you know, everybody like has a passion or something that they like to do. So say if I like to, um, say if I like to teach like anything pretty much, every individual by like current tax laws uh, within like the IRS forms, you get three years to turn your passion into profit, you know? And, and you know, you get these three years to, you know, work on and build your business before you have to technically establish uh, like your LLC or entity um, due to these tax laws. So you can move as a sole provider. So being a sole provider, you're taking one of your individual trades or um, skill sets and trying to make a business out of it. If you like DJing, if you like cooking, if you like uh, doing anything of that nature, um, you can pretty much, you get three years of taking these, you know, those categories that I just said, write-offs, and, um, you know, it's going to boost your refund in those first three years. But like after that third year, you either got to set up an LLC and start prop, like set up an LLC or start profiting for uh, you to keep getting electing these uh, write-offs going forward. That answer your question, bro. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and just for the people too, like even for people that, that work for home, work from home, how can they um, benefit from some of these tax laws and, you know, lower their taxable income? Uh, just working from home, you know, uh, depending on like your job status, like you can write off, you know, work expenses, you know, they usually have some type of programs. You just got to ask your uh, HR, you know, can I deduct, you know, buying staplers, pencil pens, that's work related. If you have a, a small business or anything of that nature, you know, like Wi-Fi is 100% uh, write off. Your um, cell phone is 100% write off. Uh, just your everyday expenses and then uh, miscellaneous expenses all around your house uh, becomes a, a write-off, you know, working from home. So it's going to increase, you know, people's tax refunds uh, going forward. And then um, the individuals that, you know, that's just working from home, I mean, they did have a um, at-home office. So you used to be able to take the square footage of the room of that house that you use for your office by the whole um, house. And then you will multiply all your expenses by this, um, by that square footage difference. And then once you multiply it, uh, you can pretty much like itemize and deduct those uh, expenses 
and uh, get a higher refund if you're working W-2 or lower your tax liability if you're strictly business or 1099, like a sole provider or on the S side of that quadrant that we spoke on last week. Um, Mark, you got anything to add? Um, I think you overall took care of everything. All right, bet, 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 bet. Yeah, that was some that was some gems. I had to make sure you, know <laughs> I mean? bet, bet. you elaborated on that. I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate catching that. And then um, the next question is, do you open up a trust in your name and the name of an entity? So um, I can answer this one. So like when y'all think of trust and it's, I just put these two questions together. Do you open up a trust in the name of an entity and how do you set up a, a trust to take care of your family? All right, how does this trust benefit your family? So like people have to understand that a trust is um, its own establishment. You, like an EIN, a business, you know, they have their own benefits depending on the state and the structure of your uh, LLC or your S Corp, C Corp, whatever partnership, whatever, um, whatever you want to go to. So like when you think of a trust, you want to think of a trust like most people use a revocable living trust. So when you have a trust, it over it's like an umbrella for all your assets. And, you know, and then you have some trust like the South Dakota Dynasty Trust. It's one of the most powerful trusts in the United States. Like only, uh, I mean, it's all, all the 1%. Most of the 1% really have it. So this trust is its own establishment, its own identifier, oversees all your um, assets. So my real estate, my bonds, my gold, my uh, life insurance policy, all these eight different type of income streams that open up the schedules from a tax perspective will sit under this trust. And the benefit of the South Dakota Dynasty Trust that if it has the best protection from um, a uh, liability perspective versus just having an LLC where you can get pierced from, a, uh, like people can uh, pierce through it. So the South Dakota Dynasty Trust protects you from everything. I mean, like child support, marriage, um, everything. You need 10 mil just to have one, like just to even consider one. And you pay one tax from all these different income streams. It's one of the most powerful uh, trusts in America. Um, it's something like, you know, you should keep in mind, like with these income streams, if you want to build wealth outside of just, you know, trading stocks or just living off like two or three income streams, the more uh, income streams that you have, the more you'll build your AGI, which is your adjusted gross income. So from that quadrant, you know, we had S for self-employed, uh, E for employee, B for business, I for uh, investments, and you know, all those take, they all roll up into your adjusted gross income. Now your adjusted gross income is pretty much that total amount from all four quadrants. And the, the dynasty trust, and you know, it's your assets, your adjusted gross income, and then you'll have uh, the South Dakota dynasty trust. Instead of having all these tax liabilities, now you have one liability on this AGI and you're paying minimum uh, for that, usually like depending on your entity structure. So if you're in Delaware, um, you know, like most Fortune 500 companies started in Delaware, uh, like Facebook operate in California, but uh, it was formed in Delaware. Coca-Cola formed in Delaware. Um, Microsoft formed in Delaware. Um, any company you can name, 
95% of them was formed in Delaware. Why? Because Delaware was um, the last state to free slaves, but it was, uh, it's the first state out of the 13 colonies. And the benefit of having a Delaware paperwork is like you have your uh, EIN and then with that EIN, you know, starting the LLC, you have, you know, just forming in Delaware, you have no corporate or no sales tax. So now if I open up credit lines in other jurisdictions and other states, I have those benefits. That's why most Fortune 500 companies start here. So like, say if I went to Texas, right? And I got no sales, no corporate tax. In Texas, and it's nine other states, like Florida being one of them, I have no state taxes. Now with no state tax, no corporate tax, no sales tax, and a dynasty trust, I'm untouchable, you know, cause you can't touch me. And if you try to sue me or anything, it's arbitration. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like Scarface of this shit. So like, if that makes sense, that's the benefit uh, of any trust, you know, just having a revocable trust or anything, it pretty much protects all your asset and all these different income streams. Y'all got anything to add to that, John? No, I, I bet. Yo, Rain, can you, you you can speak on this, John? Or your John? Rain jumped on, y'all. Uh, next question is about real estate. So, real estate, um, somebody asks, how should I go about purchasing a purchase a personal home? Y'all got y'all got strategies? I can say mine if y'all want to chime in. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's different types of, of loans you could do. Um, right. Yeah. Real estate tricky. I, like I feel like any strategy works. Uh, Green, Green, you want to talk on the real estate one? Yeah, I mean it's it's like you said. There, it depends on the person. It's it's a few common things that people can do. I know a lot of first-time home buyers usually go with the FHA loan. Um, that's the easiest way to really get your first personal home. Um, you know, requires the least uh, amount of down payment. It's three and a half percent. I mean, it really just depends on what the person's trying to do. If it's for a personal home, uh, yeah. as far as an investment perspective, it's not really... Um, it's not really much you can really do from an investment perspective if you're using the home for uh, personal use. But I mean, if you're trying to get a house for investment purposes, there's a lot of different avenues you can take. Uh, so it really just depends on what the person's trying to do. Yeah. And just to add to that from like a tax perspective, like anybody that's going for like their first or second personal or um, secondary properties, Always keep in mind if I'm single on the resale, I can sell it 250K tax exempt. If I'm married, I can sell it 200, I can sell it 500K tax exempt. So being my first property, I kind of want to create a spread using like the interest rate and using um, like down payment and everything to make sure I have a low monthly payment in case I want to rent it out after moving out because you only have to live in the property for two out of five years and then you can sell it 250k or 500k tax exempt so for instance one of my properties i got in at like 180 um 
then I um it, I mean it, it appreciated to 220 because it was in a decent location. So that's a 40k spread. Then I got a 50k uh, lease on it for three years, and then I refinanced it so I can have like a low uh, a low monthly payment, which was like 1100. But when I dropped PMI in like two years, my monthly payment would be 800 on the 20 2800 square foot property. Like I'm I'm not losing money because I can when I resell it, it's 250k. So it pretty much saves my investment. Like instead of like leasing something out, if it ain't a corporate lease, um, and you don't got payroll uh, set up, uh, like Reen was teaching me this tactic. Uh, you pretty much don't want to just lease under social security or nothing because like you're just you know funneling your money away and it's just like obviously not going anywhere when you can find a property for 200 under 250k under under 200k and then um you you going to protect you know that that wealth going forward if that makes sense and then and then uh yeah for, for personal homes it's always like you want to evaluate the market talk to individuals in real estate uh i learned most of my real estate uh tactics and uh strategies from rain so he'll be a good contact for individuals if y'all reach out um after this we can uh, uh like help individuals using different strategies for those with the real estate questions um the next question yep. is uh Hold Drake, can um can uh, yeah, hey, Reem, can you uh can you drop like um like what's the strategy somebody can use to get uh, with a low overhead they start getting invested or you know get capital to start getting invested whether like you know like a BRRR method or you know like using a two hundred three k what are some strategies you found successful? Um, they so as far as investing, um particularly with the with the bird model which is you know to buy rehab rent refinance repeat uh so they do have you know the fha 203k loans and that's basically where there's two di there's two different two 203k loans by the way um but the one i'm going to speak on is the one that pertains to like a full renovation um so basically you can get a 203k loan and what they'll do is the bank they will actually fund the cost of the renovation together with the purchase of the property uh and they'll wrap it into you know like a conventional 30-year mortgage uh, so that's normally a good avenue and i believe they do have low down payment uh, that is a low down payment program, like similar to an FHA loan. Uh, but I I'll probably have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that they do have like three and a half percent to 5% down uh, two or three K loans, depending on the broker. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be a good avenue uh, for somebody that is trying to get into real estate with, uh, you know, with like a minimal lump sum of money but one thing i do have to say though just a disclaimer is if you do have minimal like a like a low lump sum or 
like basically if you hit anything below ten thousand dollars that you that you anything below that uh it's kind of you know there's things that happen throughout the renovation process so you probably don't want to go for like a big rehab project on your first project and i say this from personal experience because uh sometimes contractors they don't meet deadlines um you know things out of your control happen like you know back orders on supplies and uh you know just things that can that can hold you up can that can hold up the renovation process so um you know if you have a low amount of funds then you know and you're trying to do a bird project look for something that isn't like a full rehab uh maybe just like a cosmetic rehab at most if that's the case but uh to get back to the to the question uh you know the that two or three k loan that you mentioned that's probably uh one of the safest ways and lowest cost ways to get into real estate um other than that you know they do have like hard money lending which that's basically uh funds that are loaned by private investors but those are a lot more risky if you're just getting into real estate so uh I, I wouldn't recommend that if you have a low amount of capital. All right. Hey, good uh, looking, Ray. Mark, you got sure. anything to add? I'm good. Um, now, um, I guess I add on to the private lender, money lender that uh, Ray was talking about. Yeah, that's, uh, I want to say that's pretty risky because, um, but at the same time, it can get you in the door for opportunities. Whereas if you, if you can find a problem that has a lot of equity in it, um, and you maybe you can do like a little bit of work, like Rainy said. Um, that might be a good opportunity because the private money lender maybe just give you a quick loan, maybe for like three or four months, um, and then you just pay the interest. And then once you go back to refinance the property, you can refinance the property into your name. And due to the additional equity that you have, um, the property could be yours, and it's basically kind of like funding absolutely no money. That's a possibility, but like you said, like Reem said, it is risky. And it's really depends on you and how much capital you have and how much risk you're going to take. All right. All right. And then um, next question is, um, I'm in the W, I'm in the workers quadrant. Uh, what advice would you give somebody uh, looking at the benefits of um, working from a tax perspective? Um, I would tell an individual... Uh, I mean, to look at all their benefits, obviously, you know, working, you got health benefits, you know, dental, vision, um, but short-term liability, long-term liability in terms of like, if something happened to you in the near term, the company will still pay you your paychecks. Um, but, you know, my big biggest focus for individuals in that W quadrant from uh, Blackwell Strategies Welcome uh, video, I would just say, you know, put like 15 or 20% into the 401k. And if, it, if the company has company stocks, you know, max it out every time, because say if I leave a company and um, my 401k is still there, you don't want to really leave it into those 30. I mean, they grow like savings accounts, in my opinion, compared to the uh, stock market. 
So when you put in 15 to uh, 20% into your 401k, you can stack up. I mean, depending on how much uh, your salary is on an annual basis, you can stack up a, a good amount fast, uh, like like 20, 30K in like a, a year, like three year, three year span. So like, say if I had 30K, you know, my, my, my mindset is always having an exit plan when I'm like going into uh, work because um, I just don't like being places long-term. I can see myself at places two to five years, uh, if anything. So when you put, you know, 15, 20% away working, you can take that 401k and roll it into a Roth IRA. Now you just eliminated any tax liability possible from just cashing out. Now you can invest it in those individual stocks, long-term, those ETFs, everything tax-free and don't have to report nothing to the IRS at all until you take it completely out that account. So once you roll it into the Roth, you know, say if you, um, you could bought Tesla 2017, it was like 10 racks turned to like a million dollars for somebody. Uh, you could have put that in the Roth and just been completely, you know, tax-free, don't have to report until you uh, cash out completely. Um, and then also another strategy with that 401k, you can roll it into a self-directed IRA. So the self-directed IRA, same ordeal, you know, um, like my cousin has a sneaker business. So I rolled 10K into a, a self-directed IRA. Self-directed IRA different from the Roth IRA. Now the self-directed IRA is open to all asset classes. Um, that means real estate, personal loans, uh, individual businesses, so now with my self-directed IRA, I took 10K, I put 10K into his business, and then I let that money build up and I can defer the taxes and not have to pay taxes until I want to cash out of that that uh, business or that establishment. So those are two strategies that I like personally, the Roth and self-directed uh, IRA with the 401K uh, strategy. Uh, Y'all got anything to add? Yeah, I just think, I mean, you just... It's just absolutely necessary that you have a Roth, right? Even if like you're trading, if you if you only have a brokerage account, you definitely need to have a Roth as well, because you know, even if you're doing um, the rolling fours or different strategies, long term strategies, you wanna, you know, um, you don't wanna have to pay taxes on that if you don't have to. So yeah, and like um, another thing, like once you got like Roth is like. It's it for real. I don't know what else to tell people because, like, if you got a Roth, say if I do an FIA, that's a fixed income annuity in my Roth. When I'm like 39, I put 100k um, into an FIA. Like the FIA is pretty much like a, a annuity. Like they do payments once you hit retirement ages until um, you're, you're deceased, and then it can roll like go over to your children. So if I put 100k into uh, uh, FIA from my Roth account at the age of 39 and then at 65 they're going to pay me 100 and what like 6570 k mm -hmm. every year until I pass tax free you know I don't have to pay no taxes that's just like one of the uh, wealth right, just, from just that because you home. started so early exactly exactly and it's, mm -hmm. it's like it's harder for people like under uh, 30 but um, that's just something like you could do with that account and then don't have to report and you just get in checks for the rest of your life tax-free, you know? And and that's not even 
that's more money than you had. <laughs> right. So you're because right. you only rolled. I think you said you only rolled o- over like six figures, right? But, yeah, but exactly. they're gonna pay you six figures monthly because basically that money that you've been depositing, they've been using it. Yeah, they, they know that, yeah, they're gonna have to pay you out uh going forward. Like so what they're doing is the retirement age. Exactly. So the so the money that you put in, they're using it and investing it and then basically paying you back years later on a monthly basis. Right, right. And then we got two more questions. The next question uh, is uh, starting. No, I was gonna elaborate. I was gonna elaborate on the last one. All so right, um I think you said it was a 401k strategies, right? Yeah. So I want to say, if we go back to the real estate, personal properties, um, so with your 401k as well, you can withdraw from your 401k, your 401 to actually purchase your first personal property as well. And another strategy you can actually do to invest your 401k uh, revenues is by buying a personal property, but maybe like a duplex or triplex. Um, you can live in one of the units and run out the other. Um, after about two years, you can move out, and then that's an opportunity for you to have a new investment property, whereas it's a duplex, and you can collect mortgage or rent from each one of them units or a triplex. So I would say that's another style of strategy you can use from your 401k, especially if your, your job is going to match you. You're paying them 6 they going to basically got back 12. You take that money back out, that's a solid down payment for your duplex or your triplex. To start off your initial investment, so that's just one of my strategies I thought of that I think it could be, that could be very useful for a four hundred one k. All right, bet, bet, bet. That's perfect. Good look for touching up on those. Definitely left my mind. Um, the next question is: What tips would y'all have for somebody that's in the left side quadrant, worker and uh, self-employed, to get to the business? And uh, I side, what, what strategies do you guys recommend for starting a business? Just get better at what you do. You know, um, you know, the amount of money you can, you know, have, and you know, the amount of money your business can have is all predicated upon all predicated upon the amount of value you add. So my advice is always increase the amount of value you can add to people specialize in your skill, um, invest in yourself. Um, because once you reach a certain level, uh, you muted, bro. Oh, my bad. Uh, mm-hmm. I was saying, you know, once, once you reach that certain level of skill and development, and you perfect your craft, you know, people are going to want to buy into your business. Right, and then that revenue that that grows from the value that you're adding to people, you can then turn around and invest some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark and Reem, y'all got anything? Yeah, I just want to say, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that that do have skills that they can capitalize on, and then it's a lot of other people, uh, like myself, that really prefer like a passive approach. Um, so as far as somebody that's trying to get into that other side of the quadrant, I'd say at the minimum, the least you should do is be using any excess income from your earned income to invest. So a lot of the the issue, a lot of people is that 
they take their earned income that they go to work for, you know, they go to work eight hours a day, five days a week or whatever. And they use that money to buy clothes and buy cars and, and just consume. So they consume with that earned income as opposed to using that earned income to invest and then consume with the profits from the investment. So a lot of people skip that step. So, you know, even if you don't have any skills that you can capitalize on, the least you can do is just use your earned income and invest in anything, you know, uh, put it in a Roth IRA or buy dividend stock or, you know, invest in REITs or whatever the case may be. Just make sure that you invest your earned income uh, and, you know, over time, eventually you'll be, you, you, you would have established enough uh, income streams to replace your earned income stream. Mark, you yeah, so I could, yeah, I could take it back on what Reem said. So you definitely want to use your earned income to make, I guess, to invest or I want to say venture into businesses. Um, if you don't have any kind of skills or anything, that's what, you know, networking, um, meet people that do got the skills. Um, a lot of people got the skills, they don't got the capital. If you got the capital, you could take the capital and partner with individuals with the skills to grow and actually start a business. So I want to say that's another thing that you can also do as well. And then also you have to just look at different avenues. Like the internet is key. Um, you could learn different things. There's a lot of people, like a lot of people don't understand that the most valuable skills that you learn is things that you have to learn on your own. It's not stuff that you learn in school. It's not going to be handed to you. Anything you got to learn a new skill, it's not going to be easy. You know, it's going to take that dedication, that self-motivation. So if you want to learn a new skill, if you want to do anything like that, you got to put that work in and you got to actually get to that point. But like I said, again, if you don't got any skills, you're not looking to develop more skills. You just try to, you know what I'm saying, build that capital and partner with somebody that has the skills. Right. Um, That's important. You about to say something? Yeah, Jay, yeah, let me add one more thing because I have, you know, firsthand experience with this, you know. Um, y'all know I have a tech background, but I was working a job and, you know, I wanted to increase my income. So, um, you know, I was online and, you know, basically buying different courses to, you know, develop my skills on a, on a higher level, you know. So, you know, I took a, a course that was like $15, you know, a couple months later. You know that course paid dividends because my income doubled. My I had an offer that was a hundred percent more than what I was getting paid, right? And some of the questions that I was asked during the interview was based on what I had I learned in the courses that I had invested in myself. So sometimes just investing in skills, even if in your field already, you know, just developing skills in your field can you know can really increase your earnings potential, right? Right. And uh just uh just to help people like from like a step by step. Um I mean the first thing like I started a tax service business um just the just going through like the steps that I did. You know, the first thing I did was like conduct marketing research to see like the success within that particular, you know, niche. And then I uh, like just read, wrote, you want to just write down a business plan, like whatever you want to do, just put it on paper. It could be one page, two pages. As long as you got a business plan after conducting marketing research, 
you'll be able to um you'll be able to uh get like a clear view on what you want to do and then figure out the odds of uh, being successful within that um that field and then once you uh you know you can take your earned income and uh you, you can pretty much start funding your business so now you're going to separate your personal versus your, like your business and once you do that you open yourself up to those write-offs that i spoke on and then you're taking your earned income and establish, establishing yourself on the uh, right side. And then when you when you separate, you know, your entity becomes, you know, its own thing and you become, you're still the individual. You know, businesses have better write-offs than individuals uh, in this country. Um, you know, this is the number one consumer country in the world. Um, that's why I like when the dollar value goes up and down, you know, it's more beneficial for businesses here than an individual with just the um, social security number. You want to focus on your locations, you know, like Delaware being no state, no corporate tax. I got a good corporate bill. Understand like the benefit of like the state that you in. It's like nine states with no state uh, income tax. So you want to focus on that as well. Uh, business structure, you're going to be an LLC or an S-Corp. Me personally, like just knowing taxes, I know I will form an LLC. And then once a business is, um, once a business is generating like 60, 70, 60, 70 K a year, it would be more beneficial to uh, elect it to be taxed as an escort, start doing my K-1 followings, you know, FICA, all those things uh, play a factor into uh, paying a le uh, less on a liability. You just gotta have the income cause starting off you know, it's going to be hard, you know, building that uh, that wealth stream up. You know, it took me seven years to get consistent 50, 60K a year. You know, now I can do that. Now I can elect as an escort, do the FICA, do my K-1 filings, put yourself on payroll, things of that nature. And now all my money is staying within that asset, that entity, which is what you want to do using like these eight different income streams, moving to the uh, right side of the quadrant. Uh, choose a decent business name. You know, choose a business name, a purpose, or anything that you like uh, when you are uh, doing your uh, LLC, your escort. Then you're going to register the business. You know, you'll use like legal soon, swift filer, things of that nature. And then uh, you'll form your entity and use those different locations, uh, advantages when you start. They're going to give you. Um, a federal and a state tax ID. So now you open up that that uh, side of things. And then once they give you those IDs, you will be able to uh, keep all your wealth within those entities after you generate an income. And then you're going to get like licenses and permits based on uh, based on the type of uh, business structure that you have. And then, you, you know, once you uh, get your articles of formation using one of these third party vendors, uh, they're going to give you uh, the articles of formation and then you're going to get an EIN. The EIN is basically like a social security number for an individual. The EIN is uh, an identifier for your business. And this is where, you know, with the EIN, it holds so much power. You can help offset capital gains and stuff like that, which we're going to talk about in another series. So you don't have no tax liabilities. Like I haven't paid taxes in like five years due to like, not learning the different schedules and how to uh, offset. So like I made like 10K 
in a trade one time. So I was just like, you know, I'm gonna take that 10K. I'm gonna put it into a book under my business. Now, I don't, you know, that that book advertisement is 100% write off. So that's gonna help offset my capital gains. So when I make money short term, I have to have purpose for that money uh, to offset and uh, having this business structures or entities will help offset. And then, um, and then you don't owe nothing. And when they give you your articles of formation, you're going to take that EIN and then you're going to go to a bank. It can be Bank of America. It can be a credit union. And you're going to um, open up an operating or a merchant account. You know, operating is like a check-ins account. And then um, the merchant is like a savings account, like compared to individuals that don't have a clue, you know, what we're talking about. It's just like those are, it's operating a merchant for the EIN. So now you're going to open up a new funnel for yourself within these schedules and those quadrants uh, to, you know, start collecting your wealth and it won't leave out of there once you learn all the different uh, metrics of your bitch, uh, of your, excuse me, of your business. Um, yeah, that's all I pretty much got. Once you open an account, you ready to roll. And then our last question of the day is, so my family set up a nonprofit. Can they just donate uh, money to the nonprofit every year to offset their tax liability? Um, <laughs> uh, so the tax liability, all right, for, for this one, you know, like depending if you don't even have the entity, you only can do like 300 cash, you know, and you only can itemize 12K as single, you know, last year, it was like 12K single and 25K married that you can itemize and deduct. You also want to keep in mind that you have the entity and you want to think of all your other deductions in terms of your tax liability. And your biggest focus when you want to take on any uh, liability or things of that nature is remember that all these schedules, all these income form into your AGI, which is your adjusted gross income. So you gotta look at the bigger picture of those four quadrants, all these incomes, and look at the adjusted gross income and figure out tax uh, and different strategies to offset it. You can use it with like a HSA account, 529 account, uh, business travel, and you know you can donate, but it's only going to be some of the proceeds that you can itemize and deduct, but it won't be all. And um, that's our last question. Y'all got anything to add? You on mute, bro? <laughs> mute. Oh, yeah, nah, bro. You always hit the nail on the head, bro. <laughs> and especially when it comes to taxes, you know, you know that like the back of your hand. I read the tax laws every day, bro. You know how I get to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, we got any any questions from the people in the live? Uh, you can raise your hand and just type them in the chat, and then we'll answer those, and then we'll, uh, we'll end it. Uh, we got a hand up. Aki, you can speak. Uh, what's up? What's up, fellas? Yeah. What's up, bro? Thank you for having this. Um, so I had a question. I saw I was, I was reading um that uh with the new law that you could have unlimited donations like to a nonprofit. So if you had a family office and you created a nonprofit, you can push all your your tax liabilities to the nonprofit. Oh no, in don via donations. Via donations, 
I'm gonna say it has to do with, I mean, cause it, you also have to bring in consideration if that, like if you have like the certain entity set up, you know, cause it, you know, it got, I mean, we can iron out the details. I will look based on like the situation cause all situations is different. Cause I know like C Corps, they use nonprofits to funnel out like a good portion of their write-offs, you know? So like being like an individual, like it just uh, with that family office, you know, if you're not getting taxed as a um, like an S corp or C corp, then it might not apply. You know, you might get that 12, 25 K limit. So, you know, depending on that structure and how that in, uh, individual is being taxed, it would uh, play more of an effect of if you could do it or not, if that makes sense. It's just like doing deeper analysis. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I didn't mean to say family office. Um, if you had a business, so let's say mm -hmm. I created an LLC, right? And yeah. it was called Ikea Incorporated, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't open my uh, my account um, with TD Ameritrade, right? A merchant account. So I'm trading under a business. Um, mm -hmm. Can I, and then, you know, I, I make my money or whatever. And then at the end of the year, I have my capital gains. Could I then, if I had a nonprofit, uh, offset the, the taxes by donating to the nonprofit or no? Via uh, so say if you married, right? And you made yeah. 50K in capital gains. In reality, 50% um, uh, would be taxed. So you owe 25K in tax liability. Now with that, with, with what you just said, you can donate 25K to the nonprofit and owe no tax liability. That makes sense. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, but I just wanted to confirm. That, that, yeah, 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 bro, you want it. That's, that's so, the move. So I guess we're basically, so to, to answer the question, I guess there's a cap of 25K. Uh, it's, a cap. it's a cap, but they are adjusting, they, they change tax laws every day. So, you know what I mean? At the mm -hmm. end of the year, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a wealth game, you know? Tax threat, like tax laws update every day. That's why I like constantly stay on them. Like they can really change it in December and fuck everybody books up next year that was trying to use that, you know, because they're they're trying to crack down on all these individuals that's uh, deferring taxes. Like they're trying to get rid of like the 1031 exchange. Like that's like one of the big real estate wealth moves. So if I own a property for you know like. Uh, 500k or like whatever I can instead of uh, paying taxes and like selling that property I can transfer it and trade it for another property in another state and defer the taxes and keep trading that property off and off so that's like one of the laws that they're trying to get rid of they not because they own all of the commercial stuff so they probably getting they selling everything off defaulting on stuff but like that's like one of the laws that you know that they've been tackling all year and they probably won't put out a result to like December 31st because they know January you can't you can you ain't going to have you need that I think it's like a uh it's like a 21 30 like a, a no it's 60 days that you got to do that 1031 exchange and defer the taxes so they probably wait a month out you know and just say oh this is the law so that's why I watch them and things of that nature and I I got something to add to that um and it's more so an alternative or another option. Uh, just considering that there may be a cat. So uh, they had in real estate, 
they have uh, these zones, these regions. They're called opportunity zones. And basically what you can do is say if you had $250,000 in, in capital gains from, from stock trading, right? You can literally take that whole $250,000 and you can invest it in real estate that is located in opportunity zones. And what happens is you have to you have to establish um, it's called a QOF, which is just uh, basically an entity in which 90% of the assets are invested in opportunity zones. And by doing so, you're able to defer your tax liability on that whole $250,000 in capital gains for five years. And they have different thresholds. So as long as you hold that real estate investment for five years, uh, it'll be deferred. And once the five years matures, then they'll give you, a, I believe it's a 15% discount on the tax liability. Uh, the next threshold, I think, is seven years. Um, but you have to check with an accountant as far as like the the tax liability discount percentages. But um, I think the last threshold is about 10 years. And at that point, I believe they forgive the tax liability. Uh, so that's just another option that people can look into if they're, you know, if they're exceeding that cap uh, with the... Uh, with the, you know, donations and trust and things like that. Okay. That was that was our last question, bro. You can close out. All right, bet. All right, people. Much love, everybody. Thank you for joining in. Thank you for tuning in live. You know, this has been the episode of Black Wealth Strategies. Um, hope everybody found some value. If this was helpful, if you if, if you learned something, if it provided some value, you may put a one in the chat. Um, you know, we talked about real estate, uh, trading, investing, you know, tax mitigation. So, you know, we'll, we'll post a recording today. Uh, it'll be up soon. Um, and then uh, Monday, we'll be back with market review. And um, next weekend as well. All right. So, Dre, you got anything? Peace and abundance. Peace and abundance. You already know. That's the vibe we carry in. So, everybody have a, have a great rest of the weekend. Hope y'all have a great week. All right. Talk to y'all soon. Peace. Peace. Thank you for joining.